We count it as a privilege to come together yet again to worship our God and to study from his word. And I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4, where we are going to anchor ourselves tonight in looking at three verses in Acts chapter 4. The song that we have just confessed to one another and taught one another with and praised our God with is the idea of having courage and waiting on God. And it's a relatively simple concept to get. He's God and he's in charge and we need to wait on him to do what he wants to do in his own time as we sing in another song. But it is, it is a wholly different thing to put that into practice and to apply that. And sometimes it's difficult to wait on the Lord. Sometimes we say, God, I'll be patient with you, but if you could get around to that today, I'd sure be appreciative of that. And that's not the way that it works with our Father. It's not the way that it works with our God that we serve. But we are to be bold in our service to Christ. And I want to talk about boldness tonight. It is a concept that is found throughout the Bible. We're going to look at a, a number of different passages we're going to uh, focus on a number of different places, both in the Old and in the New Testaments, as we think about what it means to be bold in Jesus Christ. When it talks about waiting on the Lord, be strong and take courage, having that courage or that confidence that we'll talk about in just a moment. When we think about boldness and the Bible, I want us to acknowledge that uh, it is a concept that is found throughout virtually every page of the Bible as we prayed together tonight. But it is also a word that is found repeatedly in the Bible. And depending on the version that you're reading from uh, this evening, you may come across the word confidence if you're reading from the New American Standard Version. Uh, or the word courage as it is rendered more likely in the New International Version. In the New King James Version and in, in the King James Version, the word that is used more likely is the idea of being bold or boldness. And we understand what that concept is. And, and I've chosen the lion to be representative of courage, not because I came up with that concept, but because as we read in Proverbs chapter 28, we know that a lion is symbolic of courage. In fact, that's why it's so silly to think about a cowardly lion because the two do not go hand in hand with each other and why an author made an awful lot of money off of that concept a few years ago. It is a concept that is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but one of the things I found interesting in thinking about boldness and just doing a simple word search throughout Genesis to the book of Revelation is it is almost exclusively used in the New Testament. And there are 34 accounts where in the Bible, at least in the New King James, where the concept of bold or boldness, or the words bold or boldness are used. And in those 34 times, can you guess which book, and I've kind of already given the answer away, but most of you as good Bible students would already probably say, I think if it's a New Testament book, it's probably the book of Acts. And that makes perfect sense because the book of Acts is a book of boldness. It is a book of conversions, sometimes we say. It's a story of the early church, of the early saints, and of their struggles, and of their growing together. And so nine times in the book of Acts it is used, and then three times just in Acts chapter 4 the text is used. We want to look at those passages here. We're not going to read all of Acts chapter 4. It's 37 verses. I want us just to read three verses together here, and we'll set the stage for our study tonight. 
in verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I want to read that verse one more time because there's so much in that one verse that we're going to try to extrapolate tonight. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, now that's talking about the council or the Sanhedrin, the people that were accusing the apostles of doing all these horrific things, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Drop down to verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. In fact, in my Bible, verses 32 through almost the end of the chapter is a section that is subtitled a prayer of boldness or a prayer for boldness. And in fact, the word is used a third time here, then in the next uh, two verses, in verse 31 particularly, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Knowing what's going on here in Acts chapter 4, knowing the backdrop of Peter and John's arrest, knowing everything that has transpired in the early days of the church, it makes perfect sense that there's so much about courage or courageousness or the idea of confidence in the New American Standard as rendered here. I want us to just look at these three passages tonight and make a series of a half a dozen observations. And we'll spend just a couple of moments on each of these observations. And thinking about boldness as presented in Acts chapter 4, verses 13, 29, and 31, as well as some other passages in Scripture. So note, if you would, some important facts about boldness. Number one, boldness is visible to others. It is not something that is hidden. When you saw the boldness of Peter or John, when you experienced what they were going through, when you saw the way that they conducted themselves, the way that they talked, and the way that they uh, orchestrated their lives, it was visible to others. When we are bold, when we are courageous, when we are confident, others see it in us, and we want that. Not for our own glory. We are instead, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, to glorify our Father in heaven by our good works so that when men see us, they may glorify him. That's what we want as a result of our boldness. We don't want people to say, well, look how bold and courageous he is, and then it ends there. But rather that they appreciate that we reflect that back on God where the glory actually belongs. Go back to verse 13 in Acts chapter 4. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Think about that word saw. That proves to me that it is something that is seen. That boldness is seen by others. I want to look at two passages. And I know we said we'd spend almost all of our time in the New Testament. But I want to go back to the book of Exodus chapter 14 verse 8. And make a quick observation there. Exodus chapter 14 is where uh, Moses is leading the people and they come to this great barrier, the great Red Sea, and they are unable to cross, at least at first glance. And they're thinking that we are doomed. They're thinking that they are trapped. Well, drop down to verse 5. It was told the king of Egypt the people had fled. The heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over one of them. 
And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. That was something that was exhibited. That wasn't something that was held in secret, but it was something that was seen by others. And I thought that was interesting, that they went out with boldness in spite of everything that was going to transpire. Now, if only they would keep that boldness, right? We're familiar with what goes on in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We are familiar with the fact that that boldness, that courage, that confidence seems to wax or wane through time. But that's the way that we all are. We're courageous in one moment, and then we are cowardly in another. And then a third passage on this particular subject is in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, where Paul is writing to the young man, and he says that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power or of boldness and of love and of sound mind. Some versions read there that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. And that's just a fancy word for fear or being timid. That's what that actually means. And so we are not to be timid or cowardly in service to our God. And I'm reminded of even our young people could tell the story of what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That these were three individuals who, along with Daniel, were willing to stand up to the king, stand up to the authority and say, we are not going to serve foreign gods. We will do what the Lord Jehovah wants us to do. That boldness was visible to Nebuchadnezzar. That was visible to Darius. It was visible to even Pharaoh. And it was visible to others today. So we need to appreciate that our faith is not lived in a vacuum We do not quietly get to go about serving God, but we are to be courageous and bold in who we are. You may say, wait a minute, I may not be qualified. Well, I've got an answer for that. Or let me me rephrase it. The Holy Spirit has an answer for that particular objection, which brings us to this second observation. That is to be bold, to be courageous, to be a man or woman of confidence doesn't require education. It doesn't require going to the fancy school and getting a badge of courage. You don't have to go to a wizard in order for that to happen. You do need to go to God, and he will provide you with that courage. But it doesn't come as a result of earth-based education. The notion that brave or courageous men and women are well-educated men is a non-biblical concept. That is something that is not found in scriptures. In fact, go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. One of the things that amazed the council here on this particular occasion was that both John and Peter were untrained and uneducated men. These are individuals who had spent their lives either in fishing or in trades of this earth, and they had not gone to the finest schools, received the finest education, or gotten any fancy degrees. It might, however, I would say, require some experience and some time. Go, if you would, a few pages over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Acts chapter 13, verse 46, where he says that Paul and Barnabas... Now, if you like underlining things in your Bible, I would suggest underlining the word grew, that they grew bold. They were not born bold, but they grew bold. And they said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, 
we turn to the Gentiles. We know what's going on here. This is the kind of the shift or the pivot uh, to move to a different audience or a different group of individuals where almost exclusively the last half of the book of Acts is dedicated to the teaching of the Gentile people. But there in verse 46, I love where it says Paul and Barnabas grew bold. It is a process that sometimes it takes us a while. And I would like to think that if you've been a Christian for, let's say, 40 years, that you are more bold now than when you were a Christian for only 20 years. And the same thing, verses 20, verses 10, and 10, verses 5. The point being that we grow bolder through time because God gives us experiences wherein we can grow that boldness. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following. And I want to read 26 and uh, appreciate, hopefully, the point that I'm trying to make here. Verse 26 says, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. That is, the things that the world says are unimportant or are not valuable. He says, Those are the things that the Lord has chosen. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That, verses 29 through the end of the chapter. No flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That is, you don't glory in yourself. You don't say, look how confident I am. Look how, how bold I've gotten through time. It's a matter of saying, no, God has provided me with that boldness. That doesn't require education. It might require some experience in this life, however. Thirdly, we need to appreciate that boldness is necessary for challenges. You think about what a lion has to do. You think about what a pride has to do uh, in terms of hunting game and protecting itself and protecting its territory. Necessary challenges, boldness is necessary for those challenges. God doesn't promise us, does he, a life that is void of challenges? And that's one of the things that people in the world seem to be a little bit uh, or maybe a great deal misunderstanding about. That just because we become Christians doesn't mean that automatically all of the challenges in our lives are then washed away. Our sins are washed away. We are cleansed of unrighteousness. We have a relationship with God. But simply because we're Christians doesn't mean that we aren't going to have some challenges. Indeed, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecutions. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Well, go back to our anchor passages. We're using Acts chapter 4, 13, 29, and 31. Go back this time to Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. We're going to go back there and look yet again one more time. But Acts chapter 4 in verse 29 says the following. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. We are not going to speak God's word unless we are bold. Now, there are times where it's easy to speak God's word. Uh, there's uh, no real trepidation on my part tonight in speaking these things and talking about the importance of living a godly life in a group of friendly people. 
who largely believe the same things. So one could say, well, that doesn't require a lot of boldness. And I would say you're probably correct to a degree when you get into topics that people are going to have their toes stepped on, however, or when you're talking with individuals of the world, however, then you have a situation where you indeed may have to be a little bit bolder than you've ever been before. And that sometimes is a difficult thing to do. It's difficult for those who preach. It's difficult for those who shepherd. It's difficult for those of you who are parents who have to sometimes share difficult messages with your children. Turn, if you would, over to the book of Romans, chapter 15, in verses 14 and 15, to illustrate this point a little bit further. In Romans, chapter 15, in verse 14, he says, I myself am confident concerning you. So here's the confidence. Here's the courage. Here's the boldness. He says, I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Are there times where we have to be a little bit more bold, where we have to increase the level of boldness in the way that we write or in the way that we speak? or in the way that we try to teach someone else? And the answer is yes. Is that a comfortable situation? Not always. In fact, sometimes it's very uncomfortable when you're talking to someone and you're trying to correct them and you're doing so in a spirit of timidity, uh, not with a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of calmness and a spirit of forgiveness and one of graciousness. That sometimes is a difficult thing to do. And that brings me then to a, a, a third major passage here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, which I'd like to read quickly here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Most of the brethren in the Lord, this is one of my favorite places in the New Testament because Paul, writing from prison, is talking about the prison experience. And he says, Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Now notice the next two verses. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now later he'll talk about that deliverance. He doesn't know what that's going to look like. It could look like leaving this earth, or it could look like staying on this earth for a period of unknown years. But he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. The fact is, is boldness is necessary for challenges in teaching and living our lives in appropriate ways. Let me suggest number four this evening that boldness and prayerfulness have a relationship with one another. That you can't be bold without being prayerful, and you can't really be prayerful unless you are bold. In fact, we are told, as we'll read here in a few moments, that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldness doesn't mean going it alone, so to speak, but rather it requires a strong dependence on the Lord in prayer. What was going on in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 31, which where we were reading a few moments ago? Go back to verse 29, 
And it's clear what's transpiring here is that these individuals, the early followers of God, are praying for boldness, speaking to God for assistance. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled, can you imagine what it would have been like to witness this? The place where they assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of the God with all boldness. I want to go back again to the Old Testament for at least one more time this evening. And I want to go back to the book of Psalms, and I want to look at Psalm 138. And you'll understand why I chose these particular verses here in just a moment. Psalm 138 is a relatively brief psalm uh, written by the major psalmist David. Where he says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me. And you made me bold with strength in my soul. Who's David communicating with on this particular occasion? He's communicating with God. He's praising God. He's saying, God, you are the one I will praise. I'm going to worship your holy temple or in your holy temple. And it's in the day when I cried out to you that you answered me, verse 3. And you made me bold with strength in my soul. The fact of the matter is, is David here recognizes that a strong dependence on God both in the study of his word as we apply it to our lives today, but also in the way that we pray to our God are instrumental in our boldness for the two things belong together and they go hand in hand. Turn back over to the New Testament to two other passages on this particular observation. One is in Ephesians chapter 3 and the other is in Hebrews chapter 4 and 10. But in Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 12, in whom... That is Jesus Christ our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We go to our God in prayer and we almost always, and I think rightly so, acknowledge that this is a prayer that we're making by the power of Jesus. That it's through his name, that it's through his power, that it's through his privilege that we come to our Father in prayer. How do we do so? Do we do so quietly? Do we do so with a sense of, I hope he hears me? It reminds me of a story that someone was telling me a few, week, few, day, few weeks ago. And as I've, I've forgotten who it was, which that happens, younger people, as you get a little bit older, you forget who tells you these stories. But someone was leading a prayer in a denominational setting and said, God, if there is a God, here's what I want to tell you about. I think I remember who it was now. Can you imagine praying to God by saying, Dear God, if you happen to be there, and you happen to hear me, and you happen to exist in the first place, what kind of success is that prayer going to have? That's not the boldness and confidence in prayer that you and I enjoy. Access with confidence through faith in him. So we need to appreciate what Paul is saying there to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, 
you almost have to quote or at least reference Hebrews 4 verse 16 on this particular point. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But a parallel passage in chapter 10, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, when we pray to God, we do so with boldness, not with a sense of entitlement. That's not what uh, the Hebrew writer is suggesting, nor is that what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. But rather with a sense of, you know what? My God sent his son to die for me so that I can have forgiveness of sins and so that I can have a relationship with him. You know what? I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity to pray to my God. And I'm going to do so boldly. I'm going to do so passionately. I'm going to do so with courage and do so with the confidence of the lion. Proverbs 28 verse 1. Brings me then to a fifth observation and that is we hinted at this a few moments ago when we talked about challenges. But I want to talk about effective teaching. That boldness is necessary for effective teaching. Speech that's bold is speech that is godly. Brother David talked about this a little bit today when he was referencing James chapter 3. And I talked about James chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the tongue of fire. But go back to Acts chapter 4 verse 31 yet again. And Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Look at that verse yet one more time. Acts 4 verse 31 It says, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That tells me it's possible to speak the word of God without boldness. Now, our effectiveness will wane if we do that. But we can either speak boldly or speak without courage, one of the two. Let's stay in the book of Acts for just uh, a minute or, uh, or two and look at uh, three or four verses here. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I thought, uh, you may say, wait a minute, why are we saying so much in Acts? Well, because that's where boldness is the center of the story. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, speaking of Saul, or later to be called the Apostle Paul, And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Drop down to chapter 14 in verse 3, just a page or two over in your Bibles in chapter 14 verse 3. Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking or teaching boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In chapter 18, in verse 26, so he began speaking about Apollos to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Usually that's the part that we focus on and the spirit of Priscilla and Aquila and the way in which they conducted themselves. But I thought it was interesting that here he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And then in chapter 19 and verse 8, he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things 
the kingdom of God. You know, just because the word bold or boldness is only used uh, nine or so times in the book of Acts doesn't mean that it's not found on every page in almost every verse. Because in the early days of the Lord's church, boldness was central to who these people were and who we are to be as well. And that seems to be the message that Paul was trying to relay to the Ephesians as he was drawing his letter to a close. And he says, As for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to teach, or as I ought to speak. So boldness is necessary for effective teaching. Again, a message like tonight requires boldness because someone's going to find something wrong with this in the world. Because we're talking about Jesus as the way and Jesus as the Christ. And so there's going to be objection from those in the world. But when we talk about issues like David tackled some tough issues this morning... He talked about issues of sexual immorality and he talked about the small sins and the things that others seem to kind of uh, bypass as being big deals. When we talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage, when we talk about issues of fellowship, we talk about these issues that are really kind of core to who we are as Christians and what separates us from those in denominations. It requires boldness and courage on our part. Let me close then with this, that boldness is a result of being close to God. The closer we are to God, the bolder we are. But the less courageous we are, the less likely it is that we are associated with God. If someone says, you know what, I just don't feel very bold. Chances are they're not studying the way that they should. They're not spending time with Christians the way that they should. They're not praying as often or as fervently as they should. Because the closer we are to God, the bolder we become. Go back one final time to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Here in verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, we talked about that, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, we saw that. They marveled. But notice the last sentence or the last phrase. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus kind of gave off this glow of boldness, of courage, and of confidence. I want to look at three passages here before we close with just a couple of observations or applications. One is in the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 is an interesting uh, section of scripture where now... Uh, Solomon has died and the kingdom is now split. And you have here a man by the name of Asa. And it says, he went out to meet Asa and he said, Hear me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Think about that. The Lord is with you while you are with him. That reminds me so much of James chapter 4. Draw near to God and what? He'll draw near to you. It reminds me of the story I may have told before of the man who was driving the car. And he and his wife had been married for over 50 years. And part of this was the advent of uh, no more bucket seats. Uh, now you got everyone's have a seat belt on. But she says, you know, as he's driving calmly in the car, she says, it seems over the years we've gotten further and further apart in this car. And he just... Drive straight ahead, he says, I haven't moved anything. <laughs> She's the one that's moved further apart. 
we are the ones who are in the passenger seat where God is the pilot. It's like the bumper sticker says, if God is your co-pilot, get out and change seats. <laughs> and the idea is, is God is our pilot. We need to be as close to him as we possibly can. That's the securest place in the vehicle moving forward. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, one final passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, the Bible tells us the following. Hebrews 13, verse 6, it says, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If God is on my side, who can be against me? Paul would write to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. So what about us as we conclude this study about boldness? I love that phrase in chapter 28 of the book of Proverbs where it says, The wicked flee when no one else pursues, but the righteous are bold like lions, are as bold as a lion. So that brings me then to just these four simple applications of what this may mean for us today and what it means for us this week. Let me suggest, number one, that we should remember that since boldness is visible to others, remember they saw the boldness of Peter and John, we need to be consistent in our courage so that others know about him. Make sure that you are consistently bold because you never know when your boldness is teaching someone else. Secondly, pray. And pray specifically for boldness during challenging times. Let me suggest number three, and we've talked about this before in the past, but never, and that means never, ever apologize for living out or teaching God's will. Just be bold. Don't be arrogant. Don't be mean. But be, be bold and be courageous. I say that because sometimes when... Someone has to deliver a tough message about a person's marriage or a person's uh, status in life because he's not a Christian or maybe she's living in error or whatever the case may be. We'll follow, we'll, we'll, we'll proceed what we're about to say. We'll say, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but no, I'm not sorry to tell you this. I, I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you in love and I'm going to tell you with a spirit of calmness and I'm going to season my speech well, as well as I possibly can. Uh, but I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to be bold in that. And then fourthly and finally, we need to do everything that we can to get closer to God. And that's where study and prayer are so key. I appreciate our, our brother Livingston reading for us from Proverbs chapter 28. There's so much in Proverbs 28. There's so much in every one of the chapters of Proverbs that has so much good in it. But I love verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We want to be those kinds of individuals who are bold in the way that we treat others, teach, encourage, and live out our lives in giving our glory to God. And if we can help, as David said this morning, you may be here and as a Christian, you're not living correctly. And that may be the case that you've thought about that today. I'm not living correctly. I'm not as bold as I should be. I'm not as courageous as I should be. I'm not as uh, conscientious of being about the business of doing what God has asked me to do. Then we would welcome the opportunity to, to help you. If we can baptize you tonight for the forgiveness of your sins, because that's what's taught in Acts 2 and verse 38, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, we would welcome the opportunity to help you to come to that conclusion. Or if as a Christian, it's time for you to make a change, we'd welcome that opportunity to help you as well. 
If we can encourage you or help in any way spiritually, let us know while we stand and while we sing at this time.